Hello, White Oak, and welcome to week one of our Christmas series. Hope starts here. As our teaching team met the last few months, we had this overwhelming sense that more than anything, people around us were in desperate need for hope right now. So as we made plans for Christmas, we knew that we wanted to strip everything away and focus this year on exactly what Jesus's birth was all about. And at its core, more than anything else, the birth of Jesus is about hope. Oh, we use hope in a lot of different ways in our daily lives. Sometimes I feel like in modern language, or at least in our current culture, we tend to use the word hope in the opposite of its intended meaning. We layer it with sarcasm when we tell a friend that we hope that works out for you. Let me know how that goes. Or your teen who hasn't studied might say, I hope I pass this test knowing full well that the odds are not in their favor. <clears throat> the Bible is full of stories of hope. It's a central theme that runs throughout its entirety. And when the word hope is used, it's used to demonstrate this confidence that things are going to get better. That even when things seem their darkest, that we have this assurance that the light is coming. So this Christmas, we want to look through scripture at the events around the birth of Jesus and examine how the arrival of this child ushered in a new hope for all people. Last week, I attended a funeral for a friend, Rob. He was a young man who left behind a 28-year-old wife, Jerrica, and a young daughter, Navy. His wife is a dear friend of mine. During the celebration of life, there was this constant talk of hope. This young widow shared during the service about being on the lookout for these hope moments. As I was wrestling with the tension between grief and celebration at an event like this, the tragedy in losing someone so young and with so much life to live, but recognizing that Rob was now in heaven receiving his reward. I also wrestled with the idea of hope in the midst of so much pain. This idea that the worst day of her life, my friend could talk about this idea of hope. It reminded me just how powerful the word is. It reminded me just how much we need hope, how much we cling to hope. Not just on bad days, not just on crummy days, not just on the worst days, when hope is all that we have. The author of the book of Hebrews describes hope like this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. In context, the author is talking about God keeping his promises. In the Old Testament of our Bible, there are lots of promises made by God about a better future, about a coming Savior. Hebrews says that those promises God made are firm and secure. We can count on them. 
They're an anchor for us to keep us from drifting away. So eventually, we want to get to the birth of Jesus. That's the Christmas story. But today is really about the setup. In the Old Testament of your Bible, God's people are the nation of Israel. Starting with Abraham and going all the way through to the last prophets right before the New Testament of your Bible. The last recorded word from God in the Old Testament comes around 400 BC. So leading up to the birth of Jesus, we have 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting. God's people had been given prophecies. God's people had been given promises, but all they had was waiting. When David was king, he wanted to build God a permanent temple to dwell in. At the time, God's dwelling it was in what we call a tabernacle or a tent. David wanted to build God a house for his presence on earth. God responded to David with both a no and a prophecy or a promise. Look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up from your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with the floggings afflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 11 through 16. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is talking about Jesus, a son of David would come and his rule would last forever. When they say your house and your kingdom, God's telling David that someone from your family is going to rule my kingdom for eternity. There is a king even greater than David coming. So Israel waited. As their country was raided and as Rome took over most of the world, as they slipped into oppression, they waited on the promise. And they had hope that one day things would be different. I don't know about you, but 400 years seems like a long time to wait. In 2020, I only use the Chick-fil-A drive-through because I know that everyone else will take forever. I hate waiting. 
I ask God a question in my morning prayer time and I'm looking for answers by lunch. If you read the Bible much, specifically the Old Testament, you will notice that God works slowly most of the time. Patience is something I feel that God is always teaching us. We see a similar thing happen in the book of Exodus. I'll try to keep this short. God made a promise to Abraham to give his family a promised land, to make his family into a nation. This is the nation of Israel, God's people of the Old Testament. Abraham's grandson, Joseph, gets sold into slavery in Egypt. He becomes a powerful man there. There's a famine in this promised land that God gave Abraham. So Joseph's 11 brothers travel to Egypt to join Joseph. There's a weird family reunion because, well, they're the ones that sold him into slavery in the first place. They all live in Egypt happily ever after. One day, the king who Joseph worked for dies. And this new king looks around at all the Israelites living in Egypt and he decides to turn them all into slaves. 400 years. God's chosen people spend 400 years in slavery. The Bible describes it in Exodus chapter 2. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. These people in their slavery cried out to God and God heard their cry. So God sends Moses and Moses frees God's people and they return to the promised land. Fast forward and God's people are once again waiting. Once again feeling trapped, crying out for God to deliver on his promise, clinging to the hope that things can get better. I tell you both these situations because they mirror each other. They are both accounts where God's people felt abandoned, where God's people felt alone. God's people felt surrounded by darkness. What they didn't know was that God had not abandoned them, that God was still with them. Today, our big idea is that hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. I think that that was what was so inspiring to me about Rob's celebration of life. In that service, we worshiped God in spite of tremendous heartache. Jericho was able to see the light even in the midst of darkness. The book of Isaiah is full of references to Jesus coming. In chapter 9, we get this amazing picture of what God's going to do. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. He says there, 
that nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. A light is coming into the world. I told you in the beginning, we felt like the whole world was desperate for hope right now. Uh, for you, it may feel like you've been walking in darkness. I don't know what 2020 has been like personally for you. Some have had it rougher than others. Uh, some handle all this better than others. But if you feel like you've been walking in darkness, if you would use the word gloom to describe how you've been feeling, if you've spent any of the last year crying out to God, let me tell you that He has heard you. It may feel like you're living in darkness, but God has sent the light of the world here. You don't need to fear the dark. The light has come. So we fast forward. 400 years of silence since God last spoke to the people of Israel. Rome now occupies most of the known world. Things may seem hopeless. I have to think that for some, they'd given up. They don't believe things will change. But then it happened. God moved. Join me in Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. We get what God's people have been waiting 400 years for. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. A virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Remember what we read earlier? That 2 Samuel 7 promise? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. You will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. The angel tells Mary a couple of really cool things here. He tells her, don't be afraid. Angels always say that. I'm guessing that's because every time an angel speaks to someone, they're petrified. But it's not that. It's this really small part at the beginning. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Can I tell you, church, that for anyone who needs to hear it, for anyone who needs reminded of it, for anyone feeling alone this December, the Lord 
is with you. You're not alone. You have not been abandoned. Look, I, I don't know why God stayed silent for 400 years. I don't know why God left Israel in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. I don't know why God told Abraham and Sarah they would have a child and then waited till they were in their 90s to deliver that promise. God's thoughts, they're not my thoughts. God's ways are not my ways. Here's what I do know. He never left. He never left them. And he's not leaving you now. The Lord is with you. That's why our big idea is that hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Even when things seem their darkest, there is still light. The celebration of Christmas is really the celebration of hope. And real hope, the kind of hope that you can depend on, starts with Jesus. In the early first century, when Jesus was born, he was born into a broken and lost world. You had Israel who had turned God's word into nothing but law. Rules to be followed with the absence of love and compassion. And then you had Rome, the constant desire for power and control. Jesus came to bring hope to a broken world. 2,000 plus years later, and not much has changed. Sure, the labels are different, but we still have people looking for hope and so many broken things. Whether it's rule following, or it's success, or it's power, or it's popularity, true hope only starts with Jesus. One of Jesus' followers, John, writes a book entailing Jesus' life. He doesn't tell a typical Jesus' birth narrative at the beginning of his book. Instead, he shares this beautiful poem about the Jesus coming. In John chapter 1, he describes Jesus as the light that shines in the darkness. And then in John chapter 1 verse 9, we get this beautiful picture of Jesus coming to earth. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The world can be a pretty dark place, but the true light has come. I feel like we have been on a whirlwind of the Bible today, from 2 Samuel 7 to Exodus to Isaiah to Luke to John, all to set up this idea that God is a promise maker and that God keeps his promises. Even when it seems like he doesn't, God has not abandoned you. Jesus's birth brings hope. So because of all that whirlwind, I want to get really practical here towards the end. I want to look at three ways that you can have hope this Christmas season. First, look around you for blessings, big and small. One way to have hope this Christmas is to be reminded of everything God has done. Even in the midst of tragedy and loss, we can still look for things to be thankful for. Thanksgiving was way different for us this year. But as the six of us sat around the table during a really crummy year, 
I was reminded of all the blessings I have. Second thing, do something for someone else. No matter how bad things seem for you, there is always someone who needs our help. Serving and generosity is the quickest way to take your focus off of your problems and to see how God can use you for kingdom work. Three, turn it over to God. I loved how in Exodus it said that God's people cried out to him. And you know what? God heard them. If you're struggling to find hope this year, please take your cries to God. He's big enough to handle your doubt. He's strong enough to handle your frustration. My friend Rob was fighting lung cancer for the last year. During that time, he and his wife Jerica had a theme song. It was surrounded, fight my battles. In the song, it repeats, this is how I fight my battles. The this of the song the way we fight our battles is through the hope of Jesus. In the bridge of the song, it says that it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Rob and Jerica fought this battle with the hope of Jesus. And when it seemed like they were surrounded, they looked all around to see that they were surrounded by the love of God. Look, church, you might feel hopeless. You might feel like you're surrounded. But hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. I just want to leave you with two simple things. Number one, if you don't know the hope of Jesus, I ask you this question. What are you waiting for? Jesus was born a baby but he grew to be a man. He was the son of God and he died on a cross. After three days, God raised him from the dead and he is the savior of the world and he offers full life. We are offering a baptism conversation class via Zoom tomorrow, December 7th at 7 p.m. You can register at thewocc.com. We would love for you to join us. Number two, Live out these action steps. Look around you for blessings, big and small. Do something for someone else. Turn it over to God. God sent his son to earth. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Hope starts here. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus, God. And in our darkest moments, I pray that we can see the light. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.